Welcome to Invasion of the Mind Snatchers, the podcast where you get to make your voice heard. Once a month, we will take a deep dive into a topic where opinions may be divided. We want to open up a conversation, and we want you, dear listeners, to have a voice in that debate. It's an open discussion, allowing different and maybe even very controversial opinions to be heard, and one that will hopefully lead us on a journey of discovery about ourselves, about the choices we make, and where we stand in the world we live in. We all have experience working within the medical field, so our views and opinions will often be through that lens. But to shine a light from a different perspective, we will hear contributions from people from varying and maybe even very different backgrounds to ourselves. So keep listening if you want to be one of those voices on a future podcast. So let's introduce ourselves. I'm an urgent care GP and a psychiatrist in training. My name is Sahira. Joining me is Ben, currently a junior doctor, Tammy, who's an occupational therapist with experience in mental health, Nola, a medical doctor, and Mala, who has experience working within the healthcare system. Okay, we've got another interesting topic this time, maybe a little controversial even. So based on a remark made by a listener of our podcast, we thought it'd be interesting to explore this further. Are believers or religious people happier in life? Is there a link between people's personal beliefs and how satisfied they are with their lives and with themselves? How do people from different backgrounds find happiness? And what does it even mean to them, this concept of being happy? Thanks, guys, for joining. Nice to see you all. Also, thanks to our listeners. Later on in the show, we'll have a few quotes, a few opinions sent in by some listeners. But before that, maybe we should voice our own thoughts and see where that takes us. Let's go. I just wanted to start actually by talking about a couple of studies that have been done. And you may or may not know this, but there's actually a peer-reviewed journal called the Journal of Happiness. Have you guys heard of this? Uh, No, no. Detail. You haven't? Okay, okay. So there's two studies. I want to talk about the first study. It was done in 2021 um, by the University of Cologne. And their findings were actually based on happiness surveys that they did. And they did these surveys in 24 countries. Um, And they asked people about their religious belief and then their levels of satisfaction with life. And they actually ended up covering um, more than 400,000 individuals. And they published this in the Journal of Happiness. And they divided people into three groups. Atheists, the strongly religious and the weakly religious group. But they found that all of the groups showed similar levels of life satisfaction other than the weakly religious group they feared worse in terms of happiness and and life satisfaction. But this study actually also concluded that atheists can be just as happy as devout religious believers. I don't know what you guys think about that study before we go on to the next one. Um, Yeah, Sahira, was this this a study that was looking at some kind of um, proportional or linear relationship between spirituality and... uh, It was, it was. I, th- I think that's quite an interesting, what's, it's a very specific thing to look for, isn't it? Um, yeah. A bit tongue in cheek, maybe, or a bit brave, or throwing it out there, because how, how would anybody, where, where does one start? Um, but I don't know that I would start assuming that there, that there might be a linear relationship between the extent of spirituality and happiness. 
I don't actually find it surprising um, that the weekly religious are those that potentially may have the lowest levels of happiness, um, if you put it like that. Um, I think there's a variety of different world religions, but I, I guess whether you're fully atheist or a theist or a polytheist, uh, whatever, you have a strength of conviction about your beliefs and about the uh, the sort of governing code of morality, uh, ethics, etc., will will be guiding you, I guess, in a way. Um, and those that are weakly religious, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is that perhaps um, perhaps you're just religious enough to have an understanding of what you perhaps shouldn't be doing um, and what your your faith might prohibit, but not quite religious enough to adhere to it. Um, so I, I can see that actually in that situation, uh, perhaps you might be unhappy because there, there might be feelings of guilt um, and things with, with that flavour in general, um, as opposed to if you're completely atheistic um, or completely atheist, sorry, and were to, um, you know, have desires, hedonistic desires, you know, that you want to derive uh, pleasure out of life. Uh, and if that's your governing principle, um, I don't think that can be, be taken as, as surprising, really. I think the, the only thing I wanted to add was that most of the previous research, and, and, and I think it, it is actually a subject in itself, isn't it? Happiness, positive psychology. But what I really wanted to say was most of the previous research on the relationship between, they call it religiosity, and subjective well-being um, shows that there's a there's a correlation between religion um, and happiness, but also good mental health and even physical health, which is really interesting, isn't it? The other big study was in 2019, and it was by the Washington-based Pew Research Center. And they actually said actively religious people were happier than non-religious people in half of the 36 countries they looked at and it found, especially in Japan, Australia and Germany and the US, that religious people were far happier. Um, and their conclusion was definitely this, that actively religious people are more likely to describe themselves as very happy. Uh, I, I was wondering about, because um, it's fairly reductionist even to use the word religious or religiosity, I mean, obviously we're reducing something huge, aren't we? Um, and that Pew um, thing rings a bell, uh, Sahira, although I, I, I don't know if I know it or if I read it myself, um, and it's ringing a bell with something that I thought or had a conversation about. The Indian subcontinent has ancient religions um, that are still very practiced today. And there are obviously other parts of the world that also have ancient religions that are practiced, but India is uh, India itself is obviously a, a massive population. Um, so it would be um, it would be very interesting to include that in a study, and it would be significant to not to not include it. Definitely, I think there were some other um, studies actually that showed. Uh, I, I don't remember the names, but they showed that people in poorer countries or more third world countries tend to be more religious and happier. Um, yeah, I, I think also there's there's that there's something about I think we mentioned this in the previous podcast. It was probably me that mentioned it. Um, this thing about uh, 
collective collectivism and collective societies and networks and obviously now um, we're recognizing and crystallizing this idea that that, that social connections are linked to l longevity um, and and all kinds of well-being and health um, and 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 this idea about uh, certain populations in the world that have retained quite a collectivist com communal um, way of living versus the individualistic um, person-centered uh, living which is quite common in the West, um, which which may also have quite high levels of neurotic, neuroticism and sort of self-awareness, self-examination, um, which I suppose brings a, a different interface with the world and, and existence, possibly a more stressful one. Just on the subject of neuroticism, um what it made me think of as you were sort of exploring this idea of religious people being um, subjectively, let's let's remember that subjectively more happy. There's no there's no sort of definitive objective measure of happiness. It's one subjective experience in, in relation to their their, their worldview uh, and whatever's going on around them at, in a given moment. What it what it actually um, spoke to me of was the idea that potentially religious people, um, it's a psychiatric term, isn't it? Magical thinking, perhaps magical thinking has a relationship um, with one's um, arousal and, and one's state of perceived happiness. Um, I mean, you could argue that um, the, the, the act of being religious is almost magical thinking. Um, you know, if you look at any scripture, you can see feats that are um, if anybody was to, to rock up to one of uh, our clinics or into the hospital or go and see a GP um, and recount the story of Jesus as though it had happened on Clapham High Street, we would immediately think that they were um, experiencing some sort of psychiatric um, abnormality, wouldn't we? Um, so. I don't know. I, I think it, it's difficult to... It's a big, big question, isn't it? Um, and actually, it is a subjective measure. And is there a propensity for people that are religious to think in a more magical way? Um, and as a result, we've talked about prisms of perception before. Um, it's not that they are actually any happier, but the prism through which they're uh, looking at their life, the objective happiness, if, if it were to be measured, is the same as anybody else's, but subjectively they perceive that they are happier. Uh, I just I just want to make another point. I'm, I'm working with a, a, a psychiatrist um, who was very interesting, actually. He said that every patient he sees, he, he always thinks about five things. Every patient he sees, he thinks about the diagnosis, the severity of the diagnosis, the causes of the problem, whatever it is, the effect of the disorder on others. And he said, number five, is the make or break thing for any patient I see. This is the thing that makes a difference, social resources. Um, and then he said, and I said, what do you mean social resources? I hadn't really thought about this. He said, family, friends, if you're part of a group, a network, a club, spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs. And then he went on to say, these are things that give us strength and support and a nurturing effect. Um, which makes sense, doesn't it? It's not even believing in anything supernatural or paranormal, but it's just the effect of being in a part of a club, part of a social group. Um, yeah, um, I love Ben's um, example, your illustration about sort of behaviour of, of someone on the on the high street. 
um, because obviously it depends on where the high street is, doesn't it? And um, and so where I live in mm-hmm. in central London, they they wouldn't they wouldn't be um, uh, they wouldn't attract the attention of of mental health services. But for example, in a in a sort of beautiful, slightly more peaceful um, city setting or town or country setting, they might. And um, so here, I, I I really firmly believe that that social networks are so so important but of course mm. the power of the group is immense and um and a lot of people fall foul of the power of the group um as as well which um yeah which is which is another big topic as well isn't it i suppose yeah 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 I mean, I, I think what you're you're alluding to as well is the downsides of, of religion. Um, some people would say religion makes them miserable. Religion makes them unhappy. Um, there's themes, I think, that we talked about before. Guilt, feeling guilty about certain things, the rules and regulations that you have to live by, the impossible standards, the judgment from, from people in your culture or your religion. Um, what about the downsides of religion? Have you seen that? Have you seen people miserable because of their religion? I have not thought about uh, the downside yet, but I was just thinking about um, when you said if uh, religious people are uh, more happy, um, I guess it's more related to, if you look at it as in um, appreciation, um, satisfaction, as in if that comes from religion, and I think that also relates to happiness, if they're satisfied with what they have or if they're appreciating what they have, I guess that's linked to happiness as well. Yeah. That's interesting. I could think of a few examples just as you were talking there, uh, Nola. For example, um, if a if a person from a religious background were homosexual, for example, you could see how th- there's a very strong relationship between an individual's state and compulsions, their desires, um, that being in opposition to potentially the views of the church and other religions. Um, one of the other things that are just sort of developing on the point I mentioned earlier about this uh, perspective, the, the matter of perspective on, on how a religious person might view themselves as being subjectively happier than and rate themselves subjectively happier than um, an atheist who subjectively views himself as less happy. Um, something Nola sort of spoke to in, in a bit of a way is, is the idea that actually with religion, there's a reason for your suffering. So if you've got a deep religious um, sort of drawing that basically gives you the idea that everything will be okay and that there is a reason, there is a cause that you are suffering this, then that might be an easier thing to reconcile. That person might perceive themselves to be happy. They might be happy um, on account of their perception of their reality. It's about accepting things as well and, you know, you know, accepting difficulties or challenges. So um, I think it's just that belief that um, it it would be fine in the end. I think that's what keeps them going. Yeah, yeah, I think there's that. I think that there's something about the locus of control, isn't, isn't there, as well, and wh- whether that's like an externalised locus of control or whether it's internalised and perhaps um, with people who are a bit more than weakly religious uh, for people that have faith or anybody who has a belief in a higher power or or a deeper connectedness mm-hmm. than we can see and attribute to to what's tangible around us for anyone who has that there's also the possibility to have an external locus of control which could very much be the root of of happiness or contentedness or just the ability to let go of of what we can't control 
Um, and I'm sure there's a flip side to that as well. It could feel very scary if somebody felt um, that something else was controlling them. Um, but I would imagine that um, there's a fair amount of peace, perhaps, that, that people get when they have faith. It makes me think about those those questions that we that are always in the back of our minds. What happens after, you know, life after death? Where do we go from here? Where do our loved ones go after they die? Um, and it's more comforting to to think that actually life goes on even after death, um, and that there's a higher power than ourselves. You, like you mentioned, the external locus of control, and I think it's really comforting. Um, there, there, there's some research that's been done that shows that people are hardwired um, or genetically programmed to believe in a higher power. Um, and there's actually a book called Born Believers. But I thought that was really interesting that if we are born believers and we're programmed to believe in a higher power, um, what, what happens if you're an atheist? Surely you need to replace your natural religious inclination. If you believe that theory... With something, I, I know some uh, people who are atheists, um, and I I feel like they are like seekers of life. That's how I would describe them. Um, like they would like to like sorry search search for meaning or uh, some sort of like validation for for themselves um, in in their life. I love that, Tammy. I, lo- I, lo- I love the, what you've just said. And it, and it just actually, is, it, it's very life-affirming, isn't it? Because it just reminds us that it really does take all sorts. Um, and the contribution that people, like you're describing, the seekers that they must be making in, in all walks of life must be, must be pretty huge. Yeah, I guess it's just, um, guess it's just individualised, really, and how people think um, about themselves and what they what they find meaning in life and what makes them happy um, in that circumstance. I guess, like, uh, it's more or less, uh, again, with what I said before, like, simple things makes a lot of people happy. Like, friends, some sort of companionship, social Mm -hmm. events, Mm -hmm. uh, music, uh, seeing your grandma, um, petting your dog or your cat or having a pet. Um, makes people happy the thing that keeps coming into my mind actually is that particularly in relation to the study that you mentioned is that and and i wonder you may have an answer to this did they frame what the state of happiness is and what i mean by that is if you were anybody listening to us now can google what is it to be happy what is happiness Mm -hmm. And I know this because I've done it and you'll come up with all sorts of different answers. And actually there's no one coherent answer. And actually, even if we were to go around the group and ask what it means to be happy, um, I, I couldn't give you a solid answer on that actually. I I don't have an answer to that. So I think it's very difficult. Um, you know, I, I would say I've probably been happy the majority of the time throughout life, but I can't quantify that. So I have great difficulty believing actually um, that any of this data is really watertight because I've got no idea how I'd quantify happiness. So how do those people quantify it? I did actually, um, like, went on the internet and actually researched that question then. Um, 
So what I came up with is laugh every day. It's better than money. When you laugh, you release happy hormones called oxygen and um, endorphins. And these are the hormones that uplift us. And as we share share experiences with others, even just making ourselves smile will put you in a better place. And these are the things that make you happy. So I guess it's like, like starting the day with some gratitude, like what makes you grateful in life, like stating um, into into the universe, like manifesting it, um, what makes you happy. Um, also like giving things back. So giving back, the more you give, the more you receive. That's that's like one of my life mottos in in my life. I, I think that's that's really um, really interesting to me because it's I, I think that happiness is you can think of it as two ways and I think in these exper- these um, studies they they look at it in two ways one is the experience of the here and now um, and the one is appraisal of life satisfaction that's 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 used so it's just things like looking back on your life how satisfied are you and they look at certain factors as well for example family job you know um, health certain parameters. I was just wondering, I'm sure we all have seen this at some point in our line of work, um, guys, but is there anything you can say about your interactions with people who are deeply religious and yet they suffer from severe depression? Um, Absolutely. Um, I've seen people who are known to be religious when they're well (laughs) um, and who in both severely depressed states and psychotically depressed states um, have invoked or their 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 frame of reference and their currency, their jargon, um, an expression has has been uh, in line with their with their spiritual beliefs, but then beyond beyond. So also, um, I would invite us all because you have obviously you know the clinical aspect of it is is relevant, um, and also following on from what Tammy was just saying about um, about physicality um, uh, and. Um, and the body, um, there are sort of religious um, practices that are quite preservative um, and health-giving, um, and we know that there are lots of things to do with um, modern lifestyle and perhaps individualistic lifestyles that are fairly toxic for brain and body, that things like um, depression, um, uh, as as defined in sort of Western medicine, um, it's quite complex, multifactorial thing um, involving genetics, environment, um, and neuroendocrine, sort of uh, neuro neurological kind of processes. Um, so I think it, I, I think I don't think we can uh, that that's perhaps beyond the scope of what we can discuss um, in today's podcast. But I think that there is an association between those practices that that preserve both healthy mind and healthy body, that are um, that give uh, factors that enable happiness in in some religious cultures. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, my only counter that would be, to that would be uh, just thinking of mindfulness actually quite broadly. Um, a lot of um, of the activities that are undertaken in mindfulness, um, I think it's MBCT, isn't it? Uh, mindful behavioural cognitive therapy, something along those lines. Um, you know, the, a, a lot of the um, 
of the approaches to meditation and sort of conscious and mindful eating um, activities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is actually derived from Buddhism. Um, so th- the reason I sort of draw our attention slightly to that is that they don't have to be mutually exclusive. So the um, the ability to engage in those practices doesn't have to necessarily be associated with a religious practice. Yeah, I was just going to say the answer to your question about if you've seen any re- very religious um, uh, person very depressed, and yeah. and yes, it does happen because it's not it's not the only factor for um, someone to be, um, you know, if someone's very religious that um, they are going to be um, happy, um, but because of you know other factors like um, if you lose in balance. Um, you know, other things other than just um, other than religion. So religion is definitely, for me, I feel like it is um, it is a part of it, but it's not the whole of it. Definitely. I think I, I remember um, a 24-year-old uh, Muslim uh, girl who was, who was born here in the UK, actually, suffering from quite severe depression, an inpatient in, in, a, in a ward, um, who had, and this is what she said in a ward round, she said, um, I don't know what I've done wrong. I practice a religion. Uh, what have I done wrong? And she blamed herself and she almost, there was a conflict in her mind. She thought, if I, I'm so religious, why am I depressed? And I, I found that really odd because I I, I thought, you know, um, religious people don't claim, surely they don't claim that they're happier. Maybe they have a toolkit, maybe they have a crutch they can lean on um, in times of adversity, but it doesn't mean that we don't have adversity and we don't have hardship and we don't have troubles. I think it's just a toolkit. Um, and it's interesting that Ben mentioned mindfulness. Uh, we use that all the time. It's amazing, and it comes from Buddhist teachings. I, I had a I had a quote from the Rig Veda, um, which is a scripture in, in Hinduism that's dated between fifteen hundred to twelve hundred BC, and it's one of the oldest known complete religious texts that survived into the modern age. And it was really interesting because the the quote from the Rig Veda was: "Watch your thoughts; they become words. Watch your words; they become actions." Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. And I was thinking, this is amazing. This is 1,500 years ago. Um, and we're teaching this now in therapy. And um, Aaron Beck, who, who was the founder of, or the inventor of CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, has helped millions and millions of people. It's a very secular form, form of therapy. We don't bring religion into it. It works amazingly. Um, but he was actually in dialogue with the Dalai Lama in the last, maybe, you know, the last part of his life. I think he died in his 90s. He died very recently. Um, but I think that the secular world can learn so much from from religious people and religious figures Um, I just wanted to end this segment and then we're going to start listening to some um, sound bites from people. I wanted to end by asking you guys whether, just directly, that that question, does having a religious or a spiritual belief system make you happier personally? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say that no, it doesn't necessarily govern my uh, mental state or or my my feelings or sentiments surrounding happiness. what it does provide for me though is were i to be in a position that i wasn't happy it provides me another avenue to explore that unhappiness and it's a source of solutions in a way um so i would i would say if you're not happy then potentially it could help 
in making you happy, but it doesn't. It's definitely not instrumental in my initial state in achieving the initial state of what I would perceive to be happy. I hope that's not too circular a logic. Um, so I have this quote that um, I kind of like. So it's just a Chinese proverb. So it's, um, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherent, inherent a fortune. And if you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone else. So for me, what that means, happiness lies within like my attitude or anyone else's attitude and not within what you have. Um, yeah, so then that's my take on like that because I have like, again, um, uh, I follow the faith of like Christianity and uh, we're taught to like treat um love thy neighbour, treat others how you want to be treated. That's our golden rule and that's probably the golden rule of life as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's great, Tammy. I really like that quote, that Chinese proverb. Um, it's a very different time and culture to our own, but very relatable. I, I like it. And that actually leads us quite nicely to the next thing. Um, I think we should hear some thoughts and opinions of people who have perhaps different experiences, different backgrounds and different beliefs to those that we hold. So like last time, we've gathered a few recordings. But guys, you at home, if you would like to add to a future podcast, please check our social media and how to do that. We'll give you all the details at the end of the show. So Tammy, I believe you've got the details of who we're going to be listening to. Who do we have first? So our first person is a lady called Helen. She's in her 20s and she follows a faith of Christianity. Hi, my name is Helen. What does happiness mean to me? Happiness is when I feel content and grateful with all the little things in my life. Happiness is when I see those around me smiling and achieving all their goals. Happiness is when I spend time with my loved ones. Happiness is when I'm around all my fluffy companions. We, we, we can play actually, I was thinking let's play another one as well because they're both very similar. So let's play two. Okay. This person is called uh, Tracia and she's in her 20s and she also follows uh, Christianity. Personally, I would describe happiness as the feeling of warmth and comfort and joy. It's like an overwhelming feeling that just surrounds you. And when you are genuinely happy, you can't help but smile. It's just, it's indescribable genuine happiness. But the best way I would describe it would be, for me, it's feeling, it's like it makes me feel warm and bubbly. Um, what makes me happy? My children make me happy, my family make me happy, flowers make me happy, the beauty of flowers. Seeing my children smile and play together, that really makes me happy also. It makes me feel warm inside. It's interesting to me that nobody spoke of God or religion in the in their reflection on happiness, or not at least not that I caught. Um, and most of what was explored was actually um, what evokes a feeling of happiness, um, you know, and they were things, they were tangible things in the real world um, that we could all perceive and objectify. Um, and there wasn't really much of a flavour of, um, of it having anything to do with God or um not directly, at least. Um, I guess you could argue that through creation, but um, if 
we hadn't have had the introduction, I could have easily come to the assumption that they were completely atheist. I, I think I, I got, it sounds like mindfulness, doesn't it? Mindful awareness of your surroundings, appreciating the beauty of flowers. Um. I think it's, I think there, I think there's two types of people in this world. Like, I think one is the people who are the risk takers and like to have like, that adrenaline like yes I have to fight I need to do this I need to do that um and then there's ones that just like to be content with what's there like again with the idea of the simple things in in life um and like what makes their life um precious definitely I think we've got another recording though Tammy um and this is also of a strongly religious person so number three is Lara, and she has a Islamic view. Personally, I deal with my depressions in a religious way, so I have faith in God, and I uh, see that, uh, or when I plan to do something and I'm failed, or I failed, I think um, I I think that people protect me and Allah sees something that I can't see so I will search for uh, another plan or other options because it might be better for me uh, what I have noticed that people nowadays uh, set up uh, their plans on logical strategies so one plus one equal two and when it it is not happened they feel depressed but but this is not life life is not fair and if they search justice in in this life they will face this dilemma if it's okay to say uh, or to mention um, what makes me personally happy I can say um, that, uh, that I uh, started to feel uh, happy uh, when I uh, transformed uh, the concept of happiness from uh, mundane matters to a spiritual one. So by giving, offering love to the people around me, uh, what falls under this category really makes me feel happy. It all sounds very human to me. Mm. Um, I mean, th there's obviously the the exploration surrounding um, Allah and uh, what his role might be there uh, for, I think it's Lara. Um, but actually, the things that she actually referred to at the very end, they were all very human. There was nothing particularly religious about it, um, you know, loving those around you. And I think, you know, m most people would, would, would take a, a measured view on the fact that actually it's quite rational and reasonable to assume that even without any religious leanings, you can experience love and you can give love. It's um, We think of it oftentimes as, as God being an infinite love, whether you're um, Christian or uh, Muslim, uh, Judaic, whatever the, the world religion is that you ascribe to. Um, I think, you know, most religions view, view God as love in, in one form or another. Um, so I guess 
going back to my earlier thought, I don't believe that the two are mutually exclusive. What I was actually thinking throughout all of the, the comments that we've heard so far, all three of them, is that perhaps the question is wrong. Um, when uh, even in the research that's been conducted surrounding this uh, subjective happiness. And I wonder whether the, the question ought to be is, um, does being religious affect the healthy mind? Because to have a healthy mind is much more than simply being happy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it'd be more beneficial to look at whether people can be, whether there's an, an impact on being religious or, or not on um the absence of mental disorder, for example, can people cope with the stresses of life? Are they able to to function? Does it does that have a relationship with those things? That that's of more interest to me, I, I guess, in a way, because um, you know, I, I think it's difficult even to quantify the healthy mind, but it's a bit broader and and perhaps there's a little bit more to it than simply the subjective. I am happy on a scale of one to ten. I think that's such a good point, Ben. And I think that I, I do believe that religion personally, I think that it does give you resilience. It gives you the coping mechanisms and it gives you a toolkit. I think I said this before, it gives you a toolkit of ways to deal with the adversities that life hits you with. And it will invariably hit you on the face with adversities and trouble and hardship and ill health. And I think religion definitely gives you those coping strategies, resilience um, and all those things. Uh, Mala, Nola, do you want to add yeah. anything? Yeah, I mean, always, always. I, I, I think I, I, I'm a person who, I, I'm not an atheist, um, and I was lucky enough to be sort of brought up in a, in a very open sort of um, environment, um, which was very supportive of any kind of um, uh, philosophical or religious kind of pathway. Um, uh, and, um, uh, you know, going back to the fact that, that we are a group of sort of people who are working with, with physical as well as, as well, as well as mental health. Um, I, I just love that, that religions and the older they are, I mean, there's something about anything that survives. Um, I don't know if you, you don't necessarily have to be an evolutionist to, to, to perhaps entertain or support this idea, but anything that survives obviously has things about it that are doing its host good. Um, I just think it's absolutely fascinating what what religion has to to give us, even you know, even for the people who who don't have faith. Definitely. What about what Lara said about um, happiness for her? She came to understand happiness or gain happiness when she, instead of looking at the mundane, she started to look to the spiritual. Does that mean that life is just really boring and mundane and unless we have that spiritual element in our lives? What did you think about She said that, but then yeah. she described one of the most mundane things <laughs> that the religious or non-religious could probably gravitate around the idea of love. I, I'd say it's mundane. It, it's something that's very... Uh, it comes easy to all of us to, to use that word and, and have expression surrounding it. Um, and actually, she she sort of almost expressed that the um, that love was this this higher form, this higher sort of spiritual form. But actually, you know, I I think that that need not have any relation to religion whatsoever. I think we can see it in the animal kingdom to use analogy again. You know, where a um, a dog. Um, I'm mindful not to use the, the technical term for a female dog, um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to be censored out, um, <laughs> it, that looks after her pups. 
um, you know, by some measures of love, um, you know, is that a spiritual or religious love? I think not. I think it's just um, a connection between two beings. I was going to say about religion, as in we're trying to find the relation between religious and, and happiness, but I think, I think it's not just, um, you know, the belief that's make us happy, but I think there are things in religion that we've been um, taught that would make us, like, accept challenges, um, cope with things better. So it's not directly related to happiness, but I think um, dealing with worry and stress and accepting things that is maybe this particular thing is out of my hand uh, because of this higher power. I think I think that acceptance is, um, is is different from happiness, but I think it would um, it would lead to, in a way, to happiness as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Nola. I think that those things are definitely related. Also, in that light, I would actually like to listen to the contribution from the abbot of the Buddhist temple in the Netherlands. Do you have that one, Tammy? So the next one is uh, Tenke Roshi. According to Shakyamuni Buddha, we see things the wrong way around. We don't know the real cause of our unhappiness, so we don't know the proper remedy either. Rather than <clears throat> understanding ourselves as an integral part of a large organism that really includes everything and everyone, we are attached to ourselves as an entity separate and apart from others. And although this does give us a sense of identity, we also become lonely. And because we feel as if something is lacking, we become needy. So needy that we try to get more and more to fill the gap. In Buddhism, this is called the realm of the hungry ghosts. And our consumer society seems to fit that image quite well. The problem with hungry ghosts is that whatever they consume, it is never enough. They never find true fulfillment. The practice of Buddhism can help us wake up and see that we are perfect and complete from the very beginning. So happiness is not something we can get. It is something we can learn to give to ourselves and others. Wow. Um, yeah, I liked the idea of like um, hungry ghosts, and it just made me f- like it's like food for thought, really. Of um, how uh, I just kind of like reflected on my own life, really, but obviously, like thinking about um, how um, some people may not know what their purpose is, and some people will be endlessly searching for that, like that fulfillment, what makes them like hungry for more and I guess like reflecting on that is um I guess we're all ghosts really like hungry for more so yeah (laughs) definitely (laughs) definitely Tenkai Roshi um I really appreciate his his comments actually I think he's uh amazing um very spiritual man and um really appreciate the buddhist viewpoint and i you might be surprised to hear this but it's very similar to the islamic viewpoint at the core two religions are very similar at the core um i think that there's something that unites most religions in a way now let's play one more recording of a christian listener from a christian listener she's contributed to our podcast before 
This is Delia. She's a retired teacher from the Netherlands and a devout Protestant Christian. I think she's got a strong opinion on that question we started our discussion with. Are religious people happier? Let's hear what she has to say. You may wonder whether a believer is happier than someone without faith. I think it is. As a Christian, you know that God has willed your life, that he loves you, sees and knows you. He is your creator and he has a plan for your life. Mostly that you live your life representing him, sharing his love, his justice, his care for people and for the world. That you are an image of Christ. That's the best aim in life there is. Success in your career, being able to buy a nice house or car or celebrating holidays at the other end of the world, gives only short and fragile happiness. Soon you want the next or more or better and at the same time you are afraid to lose what you want. As a Christian, your life comes to its aim in your trust in the Lord. Knowing him gives your life's hope and prospect. I just want to say that I I definitely agree with uh, what, how do you pronounce her name? Delia? Adelia, okay. Sorry, sorry, Delia. Um, yeah, I agree with what she she has said um, because, like, again, like, believing in the Lord and trusting in his uh, plan and um, his, like, life, life purpose plan for you um, is all that really kind of, like, matters in, in a sense. Like, are they all... As a Christian, I guess like we all go through like hardship and suffering. Uh, everyone does in their in their life, really. Um, but there's always an end goal, and like your suffering doesn't last forever with the Lord. Um, and there's always mercy and an un like failing love and kindness towards yourself and your life. Um, uh, it was really interesting, though, wasn't it, that uh, the Buddhist viewpoint and the Christian viewpoint, they were both talking about materialism and, and hedonistic pleasures. Um, and they both mentioned, didn't they, um, Tenkai Roshe mentioned that we're attached to things, we're, we're needy, we're hungry ghosts. And Delia mentioned, you know, we're, we're then on to the next thing. We've got our fast car, we've got our holiday to Barbados, so we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We're, we're never happy. Um so, so really interesting. It's great. I think we'll get some atheist views now. Um, Noreen is actually not an atheist. She's a very spiritual person, but she doesn't she doesn't commit to any particular religion. Um, and after that, we'll we'll hear from Eric, who's um, the director of his own engineering company in the Netherlands. I would say he's atheist. Perhaps you could say agnostic. So let's start with Noreen, and then you can give your comments. Happiness. I don't really know what makes people happy whole variety of things I can only tell you what makes me happy what makes me happy is having family around me not being alone having security fresh air sunshine in blue skies um lots of little things there's definitely a recurring theme for me and that's been uh, well two things really there's um certainly with the Christian viewpoint I felt like there was an abdication of uh, responsibility as though the, the the onus for achieving the state of happiness was was uh, placed on God as opposed to uh, the individual and I guess it sort of relates to the, the second um, 
theme of thought that I, I had, which is um, the majority of the people that have spoken uh, this evening or um, maybe this be listened to in the day, but the majority of people that have um, spoken seem to have um, external um, factors that are governing the so-called state of happiness. It's mm. not, um, they're not talking of an internal state. Um, the majority are to- talking about external factors. Um, there's been mention of family, pets, um, objects and things that are external, um, whereas um, I'm, I'm not an atheist, I'm, as, as we all know, a spiritualist. My uh, perception surrounding happiness is that it's an internal state and that actually um, it's not true happiness if it's affected by external factors. That is really interesting, Ben. I think the the religious, the, I guess, the, uh, as a religious person, I would, I would answer that. And you've made me think, actually, but I would answer that as everything. An atheist or someone who's more materialistic, they're also probably dependent on external factors, aren't they? Maybe, maybe. Or, or, or do you think they're then more dependent on themselves and their own psyche and their own life skills to to, to get by? I think um, something, I mean, as I say, I'm not an atheist, but um, probably I'd be more in tune with some of the atheist leanings. Um, I guess I'll have a clearer understanding of that once Eric's spoken. Um, But to my mind, there's something in self-determination and actually the majority of the religious viewpoints that have been put over are those um, that actually there isn't much in the way of self-determination. But I, in my own beliefs, recognise my own... um, my own sense of sovereignty over self, which um, actually, if I were to accept the Christian um, perceptions, I think I'd feel quite disempowered. The idea that actually uh, the determination of my happiness is, is reliant on an external God, um, which again, God is just like the other external things I mentioned. It's not, it's not really speaking to the internal state of, of being, um, which is where happiness lies um, in my mind. Um, so I took the opportunity probably about 12 years ago to a family funeral, um, because I knew that family, extended family, um, from all over the world would be going, I'd meet people. And because, um, it was a a first degree relative of my mother. So I wanted to go to support her and, um, and our family has a a present at the funeral was very well attended. Um, People had come from all over the world as well as a lot of local people and our family members, um, there were four religions uh, actually (laughs) present and, um, and, and three languages um, uh, of which one was English. So I was relying on everybody to to speak in English or to translate for me. So I was getting very patchy, (laughs) very patchy (laughs) interpretation and so many visual um, because all of the religious um, uh, things that were going on were, you know, highly uh, ceremonial. Um, and um, and at various points, everybody, you know, family members were also quite excited to see each other, obviously, and excited to see me because not many of them had met me. Um, and they were excitedly explaining what was going on. And at various points, people were coming out, socialising, talking. But at various points, they were coming out and not talking and at one point I asked someone who's close to the family but not not a relative I said uh 
wait, why are they refusing to go in right now? And it was to do with the various different things that were being said at various different times by people who were of different religious beliefs. And at one point, just as that person was explaining to me, there are certain people who don't agree with what's going on at this moment in time because they're not they're not of that religious faith. Um, I And at that point, I could hear um, one leader, uh, a religious leader, saying loudly, man is not the master of his destiny. <laughs> and my cousin's wife, who was next to me, just shook her head and said, you see that that's completely the opposite of what we believe. <laughs> and, and just in this discussion, yeah. I'm just thinking that the dead guy died fairly young and was alcoholic. And I wonder, <laughs> I have no idea, I have no idea whether he was atheist, agnostic um, or religious. <laughs> it's a very interesting. But he surrounded mother. himself yeah. with but, different but. religions. Yeah, but what I but but the but what made me um, the 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 main thing that I was thinking was that I bet if I asked every single person there, they would all have they would all place themselves on a similar level of being content and and happy. I think it's only natural for any group, uh, religious or not, to believe that they are at least as happy and content in life as any other, or maybe even a little more. We've got time to listen to one more recording now. So as I mentioned, this is Eric. He's the head of his own engineering uh, company in the Netherlands. He's not religious. Let's see what he has to say on this topic, finding happiness and being content in life. People tend to be focused on what comes next, you know, the goals to achieve instead of, you know, being in the moment, realizing how you feel. Um, you know, living mindful, to use a modern term. But, you know, it's true that, that it does work. If you live in the moment, you will realize that often life isn't that bad at all. That there's so much to be happy about, so much to be grateful about. And usually happiness is not in the big things, you know. It isn't in that new car. It is in... You know, having a beautiful meal with, with friends or loved ones or whoever and, and having a good conversation and, you know, the beautiful sunrise and, you know, the smile from a stranger. You know, it's, it's everywhere, but you just got to learn how to see it. And then you got to have a little bit of luck, you know, in terms of the chemistry in your brain. I mean, some people just make more of the right hormones than others. Or I'm not sure if it's hormones or anything, but uh, you know the, the the chemicals that makes you feel happy or that makes you feel down. But you know more than anything, it is in accepting that life is the way it is, that it isn't perfect, perfect, and um, yeah, live in the moment, see it because it's there. Kappa DM, yeah. Um, I guess, oh, thinking of it, like, thinking of um, Eric's viewpoint, um, it just got me thinking of, like, it's the mindset of it is what it is. Um, and that being said, is like, just taking each moment in our lives and, like, just accepting it as 
like its present being in a way so i guess it's more to do with like mindfulness and like being present in the moment really um and i guess it's combined in like um i guess all of the like um religions that we had and like i think there's some sort of like theme going on um that it's more to do with being present and like enjoying the moments of your life and that's what makes people happy really um i guess what it made me think of actually is um the idea that actually a lot of what we've explored in in our discussion in this podcast has been around state of mind and we've sort of looked at the state of happiness as just being a state of mind but uh some of what eric just said made me think of you know how perhaps as a chemical uh, nature and a physical nature to the state of happiness. Quite a few people have described uh, happiness as this warm, fuzzy feeling uh, inside. And I know Marla sort of spoke to the neuroendocrine uh, side of things a, a little bit. And actually, um, I wonder if... Um, I, I was actually thinking of a, um, of a patient with bipolar that's been given an antidepressant with no mood stabiliser. Um, and I'm sure you could sort of impose a variety of different religious, non-religious uh, contexts to that and they'd still be probably quite elated um, and subjectively and perhaps even objectively happy. So I wonder whether we're, we're looking at it through a narrow lens of state of mind and um, perhaps there's more to the picture of happiness uh, overall. That's what it made me think of with, with Eric. I think it's, he's always got valuable uh, contributions. Yeah, I, I, I loved his view as well. I think it's, it it's, uh, I, I say this a lot, but it's very similar to the Islamic view because it's, it just, it makes sense. You know, it's just, it's common sense. It's logic, isn't it? We can all see that point of view. I love the fact that he said, life isn't that bad. That's a great way of looking at things. You know, the, the, the glass is half full. Life's not that bad, you know, make the most of it. Um, but definitely picking up on what, what, what you guys said about the neurochemistry involved, the genetics involved, um, you know, twin studies, genome-wide studies, there's definitely a link there. So it's not all really in our hands. Some of it is not in our hands. It's, it's the, the family we're born to, the social, the nurturing, the, the resilience that's given to us by our parents, um, the neurochemistry in our brain. Our, our genetics so that there are we are looking at it through a narrow lens there's there's a lot more at play here yes obviously i'm going to be the person to say does religion give us some of those things like kind of influence those things um regardless of the uh the actual sort of belief or faith itself i i, I think that it it does and i think it gives us detrimental things as well um the 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 practice and the politics and the process of religion um both on the macrocosm and and on, on a on a uh, on a sort of smaller unit level um so things like resilience um or abuse within within a family or within a small community um bullying things like that um intolerance um that those i suppose are some of the things that can impact on on whether a person struggles to to um, achieve contentedness or, or happiness um, in life, um, yeah. 
not sorry I didn't mean to necessarily only pick out the negative things I mean obviously yeah I think there are massive massively uh life preservative things in 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 religious practices no I think that's a really really good point Marla I think that's that that's a, a gem of a point um and I think we'll we'll take this up in a future podcast really want to talk about how a religion differs from a cult um I feel that in any religion take for example Christianity or Islam or Judaism how many billions of people do you have in that religion? No two people think alike. We, we don't all conform to the... It might seem that we do, but everyone thinks differently. Everyone's got their own interpretation of things. That one Christian is not going to be the same as, you know, the Christian next door. Again, as in, as in, as in lots of groups and institutions, or whether it's a workplace or uh, a, a population united by language or by geography or by spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs, there's always civil war or mm. or, or sectarian sort of um, conflict. Or yeah, it, it, absolutely, people are individual even within within a similar belief. Fantastic. So I think we're we're kind of approaching the end, um, and I think we we probably haven't come to a firm conclusion. And I think that we've listened to lots of different viewpoints, which is always fun. I love learning from other people. I think we all do, don't we? Getting to know some other opinions that are different from our own worldview. Definitely, yeah. Oh gosh, I had a thought actually, and then it disappeared. Um, <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, so for me, happiness is is um a building building block that's how i would kind of like um perceive happiness really um it's taking one step at a time finding like contentment in those like small simple uh things in one's life and also striving for the bigger adventurous goals Right. Anyone else? Uh, so basically, my uh, answer in response to the question, do um, are religious people um, happier than, than atheists? I think um, I think I draw on, on all of the ideas that I've explored um, and that we've explored collectively. And, and to my mind, I, I don't think the, the two are intrinsically linked. I, I think um, happiness is such a difficult thing to gauge. Um, and I, I put out to the listeners the question, does religion affect the state of a healthy mind? Thanks, Ben. I think that's a really good point to end the show on. Something to consider, isn't it? I just want to thank you guys for joining and expressing your thoughts and opinions. And of course, we want to thank our listeners who stuck with us until the end of the show. Thank you very much. It does mean a lot to us. And if you'd like to contact us, make suggestions, or even submit a recording yourself for a future podcast, just visit our social media pages. You can go on to Twitter at minds under snatch, uh, sorry, Twitter at mind underscore snatches, or find us on Facebook. So thank you very much for listening, and we really hope you'll tune in again for the next one. Goodbye.